0: Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean, host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. So, I think I think the question really is then, how does Maniac Cop fit into the 2000 Maniac universe? We're building. We're building. See, this is the MCU. This is the Maniac Cinematic Universe.
1: Oh, oh now f- this.
2: Finally a good MCU I can get behind. Yeah, finally exactly. Finally an MCU that I'm on board for uh and that I would like to build out an extensive series of television shows and films related to. Um because it's it's really like it really it's it's it stands uh it stands aside the theme of the film uh Herschel Gordon Lewis' uh, 2000 Maniacs because by virtue of the historiographic questions posed by this exploitation splatter fl- flick, uh, you know, it's really, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's, in its investigative choice, its choice in investigative means by which it, they exist in the sea, see where it's already better than the, than the other MCU. This is already better than the regular MCU. Or we already win.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would completely agree with that. I think we have a lot of uh, interesting questions in relation to this being Lux and one of Lux Interior's favorite movies and relating to the John Waters film, Multiple Maniacs. Yep, absolutely. I, I since, actually since think John, John Waters titled it in a much more kind of like... That's
1: more terrifying. You know, don't quantify. You don't need to... <laughs> like, like, this is the one problem. Just Multiple Maniacs. That... How many? And you don't know. It's just multiple. Two, so two
0: two thousand two thousand is way too specific too. That's that's way too even and round of a number. That is like e statting your maniacs. You know it's like one hundred and sixty three or like one thousand one hundred sixty three, and they're just like really insecure.
2: So at at what point, which one of the 2000 Maniacs are Yakko, Wacko and Dot is my is my question. (laughs) Who also three of but three of my favorite Herschel Gordon Lewis characters truly pulled from the horrific imagination of the creator of splatter of splatter horror. Mm -hmm. Um, Unironic, I, I believe unironic figures of horror and chaos in the world. And thus the sort of, you know, the the, part of the, they're, they're the, they're the, the the record, the record some, the, the Steven Spielberg got analyzed and someone recorded his dreams and out of his dream, the latent content of his dreams emerged those three characters to sort of terrorize his waking conscious through, I imagine sort of like a sort of omnicidal mania. a a, a drive if you will a drive if you will um and so yeah they they don't come the yakko wacko dot don't come into until about halfway through 2000 maniacs though and so i don't want to get ahead of myself well i mean like if if you're telling me that yakko is
0: not the wizard of gore i just i just don't believe you (laughs) yeah well isn't this exciting everyone welcome to today's episode of horror vanguard featuring returning champion king of the spooky ring the man who holds the belt the living cinematic hell in a cell labor kyle
2: you can't see me pumping my fists in the air right now you'll just have to trust this because it's podcasting as you know it's the medium but uh i love the crypt we all know that i'm bad you you know who it is we're back. <laughs> uh I cannot believe
1: that uh you you went to money in the bank, you cashed in. He's back. Number one guest of all time on HV. So exciting. You got uh, you got to keep fighting good. for that title.
2: Yeah, it like it it feel, I just I don't know. I don't know who to think. Of course, the two fine um co-ghosts of this program all the nice people in the horror vanguard discord, patreon.com <laughs> slash backslash horror vanguard, forward slash horror vanguard, excuse me. Um always be plugging. And uh yeah, no, I it's the best podcast. I love being here. I, it's it's gonna be fun. And we brought and we got it we got another we got another doozy. Um we've gone, you know, one of one of the episodes, one of my appearances was talking about a video game. So in turn, so we're so we're we're working with three appearances regarding movies, but I'm not gonna lie, I think it's been a, a real solid three for three in terms of cla absolute absolute classics. Mm-hmm. And by of course, by absolute classics, I'm absolutely including uh, Lindsay Lohan's I Know Who Killed Me, um, a classic of horror of contemporary horror, a, a contemporary classic of horror cinema, you know, and now we're going back even further uh, than we did the last time.
0: And and one day we're gonna drop the uh secret, never to be released Labor Kyle Boss Baby episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh just just a, just another reminder, because I will I
1: will keep plugging it, but uh please go and listen to the podcast of which our good friend Labor Kyle is the co host, All Gamers Are Bastards, the best podcast about the boss baby, the boss baby cinematic universe. The ideological implications of the
2: boss baby uh, and all <laughs> boss baby related media. Yes, uh, thank thank you for that plug. Um, especially as by the time this by the time this episode com- comes out, um, uh, uh, all gamers are bad. A Ag- pod on on Twitter if you want to follow it. But all gamers are bastards. will be back in full force with several episodes. Um, in what I have, uh, today decided to call, um, um, Halloween never ends because we've got two Fuck episodes yeah. about, two episodes about zombies. We'll have an episode already out. And then two other episodes about zombies, uh, released in the month of November. Um, the, the Hell perfect yeah. timing as always. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Listen to a gab, um, so I can try and monetize it. Just kidding. But what Do thing- it. It's
0: it's literally the only podcast about video games. So yeah. it's it's breaking ground yeah. here. I mean yeah.
1: it seems like a really underexplored niche, but it uh, I've lo- we've both looked into
0: this, me and Ash. It is the only gaming podcast. Um strange but true. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a little weird, but it is one hundred percent if if right now just just type in Google video game podcast and it's just it's ten thousand results on A Gab in point eight seconds.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just our and it, it's our it's our various deep dives into the uh, extended Bubsy universe, um, <laughs> talking about which Pokemon are edible,
0: and okay, um, okay, so I I momentary interruption. But I, I once gave uh, an academic presentation to like I think there were like 50 people in the room. It was standing room only, and one of one of the things that I touched on were literally which Pokemon are canonically edible.
1: Uh, okay, so, so, so let's, just, s- let's 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 sell this alarm let's, bells. Let's sell this Ash. Uh, which Pokemon are
0: canonically edible? Without, without getting into some of the more obscure edible Pokemon, the single most food-based Pokemon. And now I know what you're thinking out there in listener Land. <laughs> it's Vanillish. That's what you're thinking because the Pokemon's an ice cream cone. But I got, I got news for you, buddy. Nobody's eating that Vanillish. They're all eating Magikarp. People are lining up down the block to, to snack on delicious cooked Magikarp. Canonically within the Pokemon anime, within the manga, and within the gaming universe itself, also Slowpoke tails, a a delicacy, yeah. a food item. That's those right. poor Slow Slowpokes, Slowpoke high. So those are the two. Those are the two big edible Pokemon. Now, now I know what you might be
1: thinking, um, but actually, this is a perfect segue into <laughs> <laughs> into. What we're talking about, which is maybe my favorite film about the American culture of barbecue, so <laughs>
0: uh,
1: as always as always and and i I have to be honest, I have to be honest it like it would be easy for me to get jaded, right me and Ash have done the show for quite a while now, and i I have been privileged enough uh to to listen to many film praises, but I have to be honest there there are occasionally films that we talk about where where in the run up to recording, I get like I get like the the buzz, the buzz kicks in. So Ash, my dear friend, co ghost would you mind would you mind just laying it out in the in the most kind of basic and straightforward way for me, for Kyle, for everybody listening? What is two thousand maniacs from nineteen sixty
0: four really all about? <laughs> I'm going to do something I've never done before, and that's, I'm going to give you a Sparks Notes for the Pracy. Herschel Gordon-Lewis <laughs> is superior in every measurable way to D.W. Griffith. Just just put a stamp on that one. That's the tweet version of the pricey. Now Now let's get into all the reasons why D.W. Griffith and Woodrow Wilson are bastards. In order to talk about 2000 Maniacs, we need to untangle the semiotic Gordian knot. Herschel Gordon Lewis was a director that never shied away from filmic confrontation, and 2000 Maniacs is no exception. We're left with a puzzle of American film history, Southern identity, and blood. No discussion of 2000 Maniacs can escape the gravity well of Birth of a Nation. Originally titled with just The Klansmen. It is a white supremacist and revisionist film. It forwards the notion of the lost cause of the confederacy and, quite literally, ends with Klansmen triumphantly blocking a black community from voting before going on to muse on brotherly love and Jesus Christ. On February 18th, 1915, Birth of a Nation became the first movie screened in the White House. On November 11th, 2020, J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy was released on Netflix. The film is an adaptation of Vance's book by the same name. It's a story that uses a depiction of redneck identity stripped of material relationships and any echo of the history of racism. Hillbilly Elegy and Birth of a Nation are linked by a sinew of ideology. J.D. Vance and D.W. Griffith both weaponized the diverse identities of the American South to forward a white supremacist, conservative, revisionist ideology. These films reinforce a colonialist genocidal myth. Vance and Griffith's films are closer to Lini Riefenstahl's Der Sieg des Glaubens than the body of film criticism would care to admit. There's more gore and violence in the expulsion of the other that necessarily structures these films than could ever be found in the works of Horschel Gordon Lewis. Where The Birth of a Nation and Hillbilly Elegy silently court genocide, 2,000 Maniacs is a 60 mile an hour brick wall collision with depictions of Southern culture. Pleasant Valley is a Southern ghost town. The city only appears once every centennial on the anniversary of the end of the Civil War. Through Pleasant Valley, 2000 Maniacs becomes the pulsating specter of post-reconstruction America. The reconstruction era largely failed to protect Black Americans from Klan violence and actively paid reparations to slave owners. It also failed the Southern working class more broadly. The vision of the Southerner as a good old boy isn't a historic histor- isn't a holistic historiography but rather an ideological propaganda designed to further divide the working class along racial lines. John Brown and the Battle of Blair Mountain are just as much pieces of Southern historiography as the antebellum South. 2000 Maniacs is the monstrous rebirth of this dissonance. It is a horrific specter switching out of the signposts of the life of the often Northern, often liberal characterization of the American South for political gain. When you see someone tweeting about Southerners getting what they deserve when COVID cases spike in Florida or Georgia, when you hear someone commenting that minors in West Virginia don't support environmentalism because of their jobs, when news anchors talk about red states versus blue states, the specter of Pleasant Valley rises up from the quicksand to burn the earth with vindictive retribution once more. Tom White, a teacher, is one of two survivors of the detour into Pleasant Valley. He carries with him, as all educators symbolically must, the story of our culture. As Tom and Terry drive to Georgia for a teacher's convention, we are left with a haunting question. Whose story will Tom share? The revisionist white supremacist mythology of lost cause Confederacy? Or the history of a struggle towards justice that bridges racist divides? In the end, we'll never know. Tom drives away to an unknown future, but we, the viewer, are left behind. We stand at the literal fork in the road that leads to Pleasant Valley. Two Thousand Maniacs leaves the weight of this ending in our hands. We must face the depth of our history to build a future, and we have a long road ahead of us. Join us as we discuss Herschel Gordon Lewis's Two Thousand Maniacs
1: uh i knew it i knew i knew it was gonna be a banger i knew it was it was just gonna be so good um uh and honestly honestly i'm getting more and more serious every time i say this that one day we're just gonna release an episode which is just gonna be ashes pricey but release the super cut
0: (laughs) 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 well it's gonna be released on spooky orange cassette
2: next halloween there we go Uh... Oh man, yeah. Oh man. Oh man. The the thing that the thing that we could the pre the the Pracy musical collaboration when oh my god uh, tape, <laughs> a, a cassette a, a limited cassette run we'll hand number them. Uh, you can uh, legitimately. I would it. love that. <laughs> no, I, mean, oh, I mean, yeah, legitimately, it's a good <laughs> Legitimately, it's a good idea. Uh, no, this is like so. Ash has once again, artfully does it. This is like, like there's, I think that's what's, re- what's really useful about a, a lyrical essay that introduces a longer conversation. Um As usual, I'm going full, full meta on the podcasting forum here is that it, it both can sort of preview a, lo- a pre preview the sort of dips and curves and weaves that, uh, even analysis of a creative form necessitates of us. I think if we're going to do a good job, this is why if you want to get into being some kind of a culture, cultural critic or an academic or something like that, you're so often just a fan of the things that you end up seeing um, and that you end up using, you know, all of us being, you know, I'm sure someone along those, some uh, in some way along those lines, but most importantly, it, it, it becomes an exercise in introducing the complex fundamental concepts that a spl- the splatter film that ended up being a big grindhouse hit that was that made so much more money than it had it had in its very small budget that was filmed in a small town in Osceola County, Florida, a small town that I've been to by the way, fun fact, I've been to St. Cloud, uh, and. And why a piece of culture when it's, when it, when it's of a particular time and place, but also is saying something really good is able to punch above its own weight so much is because of the it's both expressed and more latent content. And in this case, what Ash pointed out so perfectly, I think is how 2000 Maniacs is a confrontation with the historiographic challenges that are present in American history. How do we write history of the United States and where does the, the idea around memory, the civil war, et cetera, come into play in the way that we sort of, you know, discuss culture. And it has these like, it's very good. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself as always,
1: but, but let us, let us then let us then uh break this down let us uh journey on the road uh past let us take the diversion that has been put up with detour written on it in painted on letters over the dead tree trunk uh <laughs> and let us let us talk about herschel gordon lewis uh first as we enter the formalism zone so, uh so who is who is hgl
0: a king a legend, a god amongst the feeble flesh of humanity.
2: Yeah, a a a really really a uh, like so working class art is kind of a squishy thing, especially in the United States, because we've had like the 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 productive forces that have created American culture have reclaimed working class identity and expression over and over and over again for as long as like the united states has existed it re- it really has and that's become only more intense think about like all of the projecting all of the projection that happens around like popular country music in the United States, particularly say from the 90, in the 1990s, particular post, let's just go, let's just go straight. Let's just go straight for the goal. Post nine 11 country radio. Mm -hmm. Think about, think about the, like, honestly, like the, the, the guys, the, the people projecting working class values in, in, in the forwarding of reactionary and right-wing politics while we're well, seriously while we're wearing 300 jeans and stuff like that like mm-hmm. they're pop stars but they've reclaimed and repackaged all of the aesthetic of working class ideas and identity you want to know who's a working class artist herschel gordon lewis is a working class artist it with all of the frayed edges all of the marginality in form all of the confrontation in the accepted for down to being at a in a grindhouse drive in guy, all the way to the sort of mixed forms casting, not being afraid to cast playmates, not being afraid to sort of like, really just like, like, it's the, the grit, the what I find most interesting about Herschel Gordon Lewis in general, and I think what describes him, the, his form the best the sort of is the it it, it, it is like he like the 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 best working class art was always going to be splatter like splatter horror the way i see it that feels like a cultural inevitability so
0: what you're saying is you might be a redneck if you've ever had (laughs) your artistic and cultural sensibility appropriated by the boss class
2: Is it, that it? Yeah, like, it, it, yeah, like that's <laughs> that's precisely it. It's like what makes Herschel Gordon Lewis so important is that put him in contrast to like you know who's the the anti the anti working class like artistic public figure is fucking Mike the Mike Rowe guy the Dirty Jobs guy. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. 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 Truly the one of history's greatest contract. villains.
2: Yeah, what a what a what a shithead! Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, so a, a quick
0: quick Herschel Gordon Lewis biography here. Uh, born in 1926, died recently in 2016. Uh, kind of came to his own as a filmmaker in the early 50s in Chicago. He was working at Roosevelt University teaching advertising. Um, he starts off making a lot of like. Like exploitation, kind of like your old timey nudie films. Um, which I mean, you can see that strain clearly in every single thing he makes, especially stuff like Scum of the Earth, you know. Um, uh, the, the, the man behind uh Goldilocks and the Three Bears, spelled wink wink b a r e s. Uh, but then he makes Blood Feast in '63, right? Um, this is the uh. It's pretty much when that era of a nudie film starts to die away and and pornography as we know it today starts to be born, right? Much more explicit, much more sexual, the kind of like uh, co-eds on a beach throwing around a beach ball topless thing has has lost its uh, gusto. Um, but Blood Feast, all of his movies are like exactly what you said, Kyle. Drive-in movie classics, grindhouse, double feature super hits, makes trashy movies and i think like just like um like waters right like herschel gordon lewis embraces this trash um so power and we see this on screen right like everything in herschel gordon lewis is is garish and bright and vivid and saturated it looks like you're living in a trailer park you know like it's these bright pink flamingo aesthetic for cinema um he makes movies straight through 1972. It's his last year. He makes uh, three movies, including an all-out porno called Black Love. Uh, but he also makes Year of the Yahoo and The Gore Gore Girls. And then he kind of leaves filmmaking to do the other thing that he really loved. And that's be like an advertising genius. Uh, Herschel, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, when he's not being talked about as like the godfather of gore, uh, is one of the best marketers and copywriters in Hollywood for like three nearly four decades and that's and then and then uh he retires to florida to bring the conversation back home
2: his like herschel gordon lewis is if i if i'm forced to do things like pick favorite horror directors he's the name that comes up the most and Mm -hmm. it's particularly and it's especially because of this exact aesthetic that you described ash that sort of the the texture of his movies is is un it's unwashed in a way that is so refreshingly honest and funny and very self aware and very intelligent when given like this the slightest amount of attention in in such a way that like it feels it feels almost li- li- like it, it has a, it. It's what a transgressive. This is the this is the kind of like. This is the kind. This is the kind of transgression that could only come from uh, someone who has made their living um, figuring out how to get as many people to look at one thing as possible, um, and how to essentially like how to, how to, how to, how to exist as an imposing artistic force while necessitating, while begetting people's constant attention, despite pushing things to their very extremes is like so powerful. Um, it exists exactly placed in, in the sort of, it's, it's, its apparent and self-aware monstrosity and its status among the unwashed exists in direct contrast to the perfect the, the sanitized flashy uh far too neat to be far far far, far too neat and pretty to not warrant a, a great deal of scrutiny like D.W. Griffith that comparison doesn't just exist mm-hmm. so perfectly in the subject matter of those two movies. It's in their fundamentals of filmmaking. Like Leni Riefenstahl, for example, was the main difference between what, the stuff that inspired J.D. Vance's stupid bullshit and Leni Riefenstahl is that Leni Riefenstahl was actually a good filmmaker. That's the main difference, is that she's a fucking awful Nazi, but she understood how to... Essentially, she could take a guy, I mean, and you know, it's not hard when you're the Germans, but she could take a guy climbing a climbing a fucking mountain and make that about just like the spirit of history. And she did it successfully. Like it's a dude climbing a mountain and you manage to actually like move in that in such a way. But it's it's that's where the, the talent is in its fallacy of history it's, it's not just reactionary, it's not just like harmful and bad, but it's effective. And it's fully realized. And no amount it doesn't matter at, at the point, it's such a powerful piece of art in what it's trying to do, it doesn't matter. Authorial intent sort of like falls away at the end of the day, no matter how honest or earnest they believed and that it gets us to infantilize someone like, you know, Lini Riefenstahl, who definitely knew what she was doing, but who could play oh, toward the end of her life. fucking cent. Yeah, and then toward the end of her life was just like, well, I was just a ballet dancer and I like to make art. And it's just like, no, doing the, doing the Nazi thing after World War II. Just, just
0: literally, we, we have like notes from Goebbels where he's like, man, I love hanging out with Lini Riefenstahl. She's hot and smart and fun. She's such a good friend, XOXO Lini Riefenstahl. From yes. fucking Goebbels, yes, you know you you don't you don't become Goebbels like Friday Night Gal without knowing what the fuck is up. Yeah,
2: and the it's in the it and like it's it is just plain in the film as well, and so you place it in the contrast to the to these like very like like uh um. If we're talking about um, the sort of the. Third Reich propaganda films alongside of, say, fascist propaganda films, which were mostly depicting antiquity, um, you know, the Punic Wars and things like that, essentially mm-hmm. tying Italian fascism back into the Roman Empire in the late days of the Roman Republic, sort of like, you know, the the grand histories, the the grand fictions that are told and reattached in this so, like... Clean and very sanitized, very sort, very uniform, very fascistic way. That's a that's a that's a fascistic form in culture. Place a formal. This is why form is so useful and so important because now we can bring it all the way back and talk about fucking gore. What is the what is the explicit depiction in the the, the, what 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 is the 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 rough edge of Herschel Gordon Lewis' place in, con- and it's true, it's very powerful truth that it's telling, due in contrast to the sanitized, truthful fictions, for lack of a better term, for you know, something I'm just thinking of off the top of my head, of something like D.W. Griffith or Leni Riefenstahl. What do those contrasts mean to us? It's a it's a, just an absolutely
0: perfect point that Germany is the Florida of Europe. I think that just really <laughs>
2: resonates. I'm both I'm both from Florida and extremely German, so you know <laughs> you're, this is you're my, qualified this is my... to make these allegations. I feel I feel like if we're go if we're going that route, I'll I'll check those qualifications absolutely.
0: I, I think I think Gore is the really interesting thing here, right? Because like it's garish it's bright this guy has acrylic blood all over his movies it is so clearly fake but it is so aggressive and assertive and present and and especially in the context of pleasant valley it's just such like a strong reminder of how whitewashed history is without the presence of this like garish unpleasantness
1: well this is the whole this is the whole point of a of a kind of gothic marxist historiography right the whole point is to restore to a conception of history its viscera right the whole, like cuz the what is what is what is the kind of like fascist reactionary uh, notion of 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 history if not something that can be kind of reified and totalized into an a completely inescapable structure right the whole point is to naturalize the, the 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 literal blood sweat and tears of historical struggle into something that is inevitable, you know uh, what, what was it that Brecht Bertolt Brecht said about the fascists? They're planning that, that they they murder the infant in the mother's womb. They're planning for they're planning for thirty thousand years in the future, right? So the the whole point of Gothic Marxist historiography of this of of, of precisely the use of gore. Is to restore the very lived, contingent, bodily aspect of historical struggle. Right? History is is not written by the winners. History is lived through through blood and through body and through pain. Uh, and uh, as as we see, here is 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 spectacularized by those same means as well.
2: It reminds me of the animated short the skeleton dance which is something that i've been thinking about recently the skeleton dance is like if you if you google if you go actually if you go to the horror vanguard twitter account and you hit (laughs) tweets and replies basically all of the replies are going to be gifs from that particular animated short now that i'm thinking about it oh no i mean it's it's the best and there's a reason why it has this like you ha it it there's a there's an and it's a reason why historiography alongside of a sort of like an a, a liter a sort of like a literary toolkit of uh, a marxist historiography that the this way the sort of like s- spectrality in its fic- fictions is an is in constant interplay with history which is also the just that's the fundamental of this sort of gothic reading it there's this transcendent quality even in something like the skeleton dance is an animated short basically about the that that so it really reinforces this very mid 20th century fear of the scary outside aka usually the part of town with all the black people in it uh oftentimes it takes this very racialized element but it all it also has this kind of like Class-based element to it as well, a sort of aspirational, you know, secure but not too goddishly wealthy middle-class family and their children experience uh, a, a fearful moment when a child decides to leave home and gets into something, gets in over their head with, you know, you know, you know. In in my family, it would be like drugs or booze or something like that or whatever. To only eventually to managed to get out just on a scrape and come back in this particular cartoon. Uh, they 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 it, it is this sort of like festive celebration of specters and skeletons to where you have skeletons playing each other like xylophones and dancing and like it has this it has this beautiful transcendent value to it when read against the grain we are this we are the transcend the the skeleton we are the dancing skeletons who have transcended death in this celebration and affirmation of our sort of humanness if you will that it has that kind of a neat little quality to it um and in the same way and i i say all of this because when john brings up the sort of viscera of history it it immediately the reason why people have so much trouble grappling with history as it has been, is because it's ugly and scary and often worse than they thought it was. They're so used to going to history and being like, Oh, that was worse than I thought it was. That's the answer of history. And well, you know, well, shit, that's just kind of true. And even when you when you think you have your head wrapped around like things being quote unquote, worse than you thought they were, however, that is, you realize that not only is that the case, but that so often we're further from the true understanding of history that we think we are. And so as a result, we have to place all these contingencies and checks, and it makes, it's a very anxious sort of feeling to have. But when we have culture like this, that is explicit in its presentation of a violent reacting out of history and uses this sort of like fantastic means by like literally making as, the, again this will be a good transi- it's a good transition, but it's 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 basically horror brigadoon, redneck murdered b- brigadoon. It has and so it uses spectral violence basically to tell a very true and necessary story. Um rather in and, and like like w- like we were just saying before what these guys were talking about. It's about placing it in contrast with the so sanitized, so cut and dry cultural depictions of history, like the like, everything from DW Griffith to the Michael Bay Benghazi movie, to like, really, nowadays, it's like, it's like Call of Duty. Like, that's like, that's the stuff we should be fucking worried about when it comes to like, we need to talk about Call of Duty, because it's like, eve it's evil <laughs> this it, it it is it's the same sanitized easy depiction except it's just bizarre because it's the 21st century and you know you've seen culture you've all seen culture that we make nowadays it's bizarre none of it makes any sense um but it's all violent it's all very aggressively right wing and it's all seeking to as ash was saying place sort of like Use sanitized history to place divisions between historically marginalized groups, um, and something like Herschel Gordon Lewis is this sort of the 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 evil force, the righteously evil force, the dancing skeleton army that you know rises to come and sort of teach us a fucking lesson about history and how we need to do better and learn more things. Anyways, blacked out again. you know
1: sometimes 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 we just we just we just sort of like wind you up and let you go you know like we've set down the rails of discourse we've got the little wind-up car and we just like put pull pull it back and like this is this is going to be the thing
0: (laughs) yeah secretly every time we have a labor kyle episode i know that i can just like kick back and enjoy the like Pink Floyd laser light show that is that is Kyle just going off about movies. <laughs> you know some like
1: yeah, sometimes sometimes you make episodes for the audience, but sometimes <laughs> you got to have a guest on that's just for you. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Um you know what you know what if we're talking about history, let us let's 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 talk about the ways in which a certain kind of class and historical politics has been culturally mediated as an anxiety in the american cultural and political imagination let us talk about exploitation uh a little bit before we get into uh the absolute maniac discourse that is <laughs> that is approaching as we inch ever closer to the center of town uh so i will I, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna here, here's a big a nice slow pitch right over the plate Uh, Ash, Kyle, tell me about Hicksploitation.
0: Hicksploitation is a movie genre where in rednecks, hillbillies, hicks and people generally of rural and working class communities are exploited. There, There's, there's like the Google definition. But no, really, Hicksploitation has been the genre of American cinema for so long. Um, birth of a nation is partly where all of this starts. Like that's not traditionally viewed as a Hicksploitation movie, but it carries with it a lot of these same essential elements that go forward. Um, exploitation as a genre really starts popping up in the like early fifties with movies like baby doll and Joan of Ozark. Um, but then, like by the time by the time we get to the early '60s, we've got like like uh, Herschel Gordon did a lot of exploitation. It's not just 2000 Maniacs, but we also have like uh, Moonshine Mountain is another one. Um, like the, and this was so big in culture at the time. Like Smokey and the Bandit came out of exploitation. It is exploitation. Um, and it still it still goes on today. We're still getting movies that, that tie into exploitation, mostly in the horror genre. We don't get a lot of like Smokey
2: and the Bandit style fare today. What do you what do you think, you No, know, I think that's it. I think what's important to understand about it, you when you say Smokey and the Bandit, that's the perfect example. Um, because it exists uh exploitation, like all exploitation, is genre pastiche in mm-hmm. a the most positive sense. It It exists, it, 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 it it pieces together sort of various elements, both consciously and subconsciously, I think in its influences, in its, in its ability to, in its adaptability as a sort of, as a method of filmmaking, as well as in the sort of individual people who just have a tendency to made exploitation movies, how they're, they, it, it exists. On a on a spectrum across a variety of genres of film, and horror has just had a really good place for it, um, and you can attribute a lot of that to just really basic. You can see that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is has sort of has these sort of in mm-hmm. the sort the sort of Texas genre has this stuff sort of sitting more toward those influences sitting toward the surface. But then it also runs the gamut to something like Cool Hand Luke, which is a, the floor, which is one of the that's one of the peak Florida movies, and has has even within that sort of like r- its rural gritty incarceration sort of like sense of self contains those like those elements pushed to extremes that are apparent in exploitation movies um and that and that it has this sort of i think that's what's interesting about a movie like cool and I come to think about it come to think of it a movie like cool hand luke alongside of herschel gordon lewis's movies as like him being sort of like an honorary florida man and having so many movies filmed and set in florida and in the south in general because he spent so much time in the south it has this like the the we'll get to the Florida of it all, of course. Um, but there's like there's always this sort of ongoing conversation about what Florida is. Florida part of the South? People who are in Flor there's some people who are in Florida who would say no, but it's not. It is it 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 is for a number of reasons, but it's not in the sort of typical and prototypical, even homogenized sense of what people understand the South to be. So it it both exists on the margins of its particular genre, the genrefication of the South, which is, as we know, incomplete, inconsistent, usually not nearly diverse as people make it out to be. It's not a very accurate depiction of what it's like, As but also in affirmation of that is very Southern in its history. And so exploitation is a genre that is like both has its distinct sort of forms in that it, it like in the Google definition, right? The sort of the application of the sort of various types of exploitation and means of exploitation that can occur to Southern and typically rurally depicted people. Um, but also in it's like the reason why it works so well with horror i think is that it all it it is 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 in its honesty as and as as the genre as the subgenres of exploit as the various exploitations um are they they seek to you know it's art against the grain um and i think Absolutely. that's both describing it as both descriptive and sort of my kind of reason why I love it so much.
0: How do you feel about exploitation at the Lit Crit Guy?
1: Well, th-
0: okay, so th- uh, everything that you, you both said
1: is uh, should I just throw a bomb and just be like uh, I disagree completely. No. Um everything- <laughs> <laughs> Um, everything you've said is actually is super interesting, but I think actually there's longer history here as well, right? Which is that there is a kind of fundamental fracture within the very kind of first cultural productions of Americans, which is this this irreducible fear and avarice towards the uh the frontier space right so the uh, imperial colonialist project only works on the violent uh expropriation of wealth and appropriation of land but at the same time there is the the kind of fear and the, the 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 revulsion that is present in a lot of early american writing about those who live in the, in the quote-unquote wild, those who mm-hmm. those who are not part of the 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 the, the colonial center of America, um, it, this happens in a lot of tra- a lot of early American travel writing is full of kind of the fear of the 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 almost it's tied up in a lot of um, degenerative discourses uh, from like 19th century medicine of like what mm-hmm. what becomes of these people out in the woods who are working on the land and uh, are are, you know, culturally so different. Um, and it comes up in a lot of early American horror writing. I mean, Nathaniel Hawthorne's story, um, Young Goodman Brown, is about leaving and going out into the rural, and you literally encounter Satan. Right? <laughs> and it turns <laughs> out that literally literally everybody is in league with Satan. Um, so, like, I think this, this idea of, like, exploitation harkens back to Exploitation is a is is a technology, right? If we think of it as a genre, oh, we yeah. have to think of it as a technology because it's only presented to us thanks to the technological advances of of the moving motion the motion picture and all of that, you know, bright splashy red acrylic blood. But the fear of the fear of the the, the rural, the fear of the working class, the fear of um, the 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 kind of uh, the pe- the quote unquote American peasantry is integral is like baked in to uh to uh, to america as a colonial project in totality
2: yeah there's also to piggyback off of that yeah i think you're absolutely right john and in the in it in in affirmation of the frontier anxiety out of American history emerges often this uh, sort of uh, emerges historical figures that ease those particular anxieties, I'm thinking of the, um, the culture, the, the, the Jacksonian man, as a, a means through which that, that anxiety is eased through a taming of that frontier. And the state's ability to adapt, a political party' ability to adapt, um, adopt the particular discursive gestures of that identity, um, has sort of like the, the, that. That's that's an that's an incredibly American thing. Um, and to bring it to more sort of contemporary, I think I think there are really two poles to this. I think there's the There's the exploitation of American film, particularly after the 1950s, that was often picked up, utilized as, as I was saying earlier, a mode of expression by typically marginalized groups, often working class people. It often gave film an industry that was tied up, very much tied up in contracts with studios um, and uh, so fully like so so like gilded age in its like productive forces in the 20th in 20th century hollywood and film and all that stuff it it sort of blew the doors open for all of this very interesting sort of like like basically is what gave us grindhouse and that kind of a thing but conversely really what's useful about sort of the historical framing of a exploitation is that it is so historical on its face And so it takes us into what John is talking about, the distinct sort of historic, it's really, it's a genealogy of history. It is a a process of thought that occurred, manifested and changed itself over a longer sort of period of time. And in America, that has been, oh, I've been saying this for as long as I can remember, that absolutely is the conflict between the the anxiety born from life on some kind of a frontier and in in one's inability to in 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 the sort of the the discourse of that era's inability to elevate one to confront and tame this quote unquote themselves they have to rely on Kurt Russell and Bone Tomahawk (laughs) uh, to go kill the scary cannibal natives that exist in the dark, scary places. And out of Mm -hmm. this, we see that like, like S Craig, Craig Zahler is like a Jacksonian kind of filmmaker who absolutely Bone Tomahawk in so many ways is exploitative in its methods. It's a part of what makes it a good movie. And it's also what makes it so right wing so so right wing that it's impossible to not basically what I like about what John was saying is that this is this is the part the historical stuff that's almost impossible not to confront when you're dealing with any kind of exploitation, but particularly stuff rooted in American history.
1: I just wanna, I want to connect what you were just saying to what Ash said in the pre seat, which, which is maybe, maybe a good way of summing up what I think about exploitation. Exploitation is a historically and socially specific emergence of the fundamental antagonism and struggle within the American cultural and political imagination to sublimate or completely exclude the possibility of genuine class politics, because. Really, if uh, you if you pick away at this and you unpick the logic of uh, rugged frontierist individualism, because it's always about the individual, right? It is about the it's it is a a, literally a centuries long struggle to negate and expel the specter of class class solidarity.
0: hell yeah amazing brilliant points all around uh, applause applause everyone in the audience uh, take a moment to applause to John and Le Rekyle. Kyle uh, so do we do we want to talk about uh, speaking of the history of 2000 maniacs uh, how do we feel about musicals uh,
1: I, I I love I love everything about this film um, and <laughs> I love I love the fact that it is. Uh, an entirely diegetic musical as well. There's a (laughs) band, the band of like good old boys just wandering around, uh, fingerpicking the banjo. Um, It is based on a musical. (laughs) It is, it is based on, uh, it's based on the, I believe, 1949? 47. 47, 1947 uh, uh, Broadway musical Brigadoon about a, uh, enchanted slash cursed Scot- Highland Village in Scotland. Fucking yeah. um And like... Like, like horror doesn't need to explain itself. And, and really, neither do musicals if you go and see them, because, you know, you just kind of like, okay, everyone sings. It's fine. It's not a problem. Uh, and the same logic is happening here. And I think if Broadway producers had literally any artistic courage, they would do a full musical version of... Uh, of, of uh, two thousand maniacs. In in fact, I know that this already exists in some form, and it's called Cannibal the Musical. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really want, I really want there to be an HGL musical. I think that would be great.
2: Uh, if 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 you go, there's a a new a new tier on Patreon.com slash Horror Vanguard tier, new tier <laughs> to fundraise. We will, I will write the music, they will write the book, and then we will make the the 2000 Maniacs stage musical that should, that absolutely should exist. I've seen Brigadoon. I had friends who were in theater. I myself was in community theater, but I had friends who were in a community theater performance of Brigadoon when I was in elementary school, um, which was really preparing me uh, to engage with Herschel Gordon-Lewis. But it's all. <laughs> it, what I, what I really like is the John's absolutely right. The, the thing that like, especially the, especially musical film, musical film and horror film, have a lot more in common, uh, and it's directly related to that sort of, you know, the the accepted rules for these worlds that like, expression gets like exp- expression. And I mean, you know, and something that we can ex- accept for our own world as well. Ex- ex- the way so often the way that we feel is not, cannot be summed up in the way that we can express it either in a given context, a given moment or in our via our own means. And so you know, we sometimes when you feel so strongly uh, that you that it th- about something and you have a need to express something, but you can't it it you know it's a very powerful inability, and so it, it they exist as these sort of very magical. Think about the 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 dream ballet in a musical film, and that's what it, it's also. They it exist in right stage musicals as well. But for those who are unfamiliar, there's a there's a sequence in if you've ever seen like the the, the Gene Kelly Brigadoon film from 1955 with my husband Gene Kelly, uh, or his other films, American in Paris, or they have these sequences toward the end of the film, these long, probably 15 minute dance sequences that are sometimes are literal dreams, but are often, you know, the Rogers and Hammerstein had them in their musical productions as well, which the Brigadoon musical from what I understand was basically just like Scottish Oklahoma, but with more magic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really liked Carousel in Oklahoma, which same, I get it. Uh, but they have these long sequences of this, of, of absurd, like all of a sudden people who just like, you never saw in the movie or in the universe at all appear. And they're they are now central characters for a scene or two because they can dance really because they're the dancers that they brought in. And so you have all of this like absurd ex- accepted realism for, you know, how things work. And it really lets your guard down and, uh now I feel bad cuz I forgot where I was going with that.
1: Um well, we have we've have been going for almost an hour and I think it's probably time that we talk about the movie. <laughs> Sorry, that's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> uh, no, the the logic the logic of horror and the the logic the dream logic of a good uh musical film um is entirely of a type. It's entirely of, of the same thing, right? You enter into a into a kind of non rationalist space where you can let go of the kind of oh the the quote unquote quote rules of cinema that we're all supposed to be uh, enamored with um, but let us let us begin some maniac discourse um, and I, I just want to read uh, a sentence in our document from ash which just says, the J.D. Vance vivisection. <laughs> uh, and I, f- I feel like what we really need here is we need like an old time carnival barker to be like, roll up, roll up to the great <laughs> J.D. Vance vivisection. And, and Ash, wh- where do you want to go with this?
0: Uh, so, so first, welcome, welcome to my thir- surgical theater. Uh, thank you everyone for taking a seat. Our subject today... <laughs> Uh, is has the form of a man, but make no mistake—we will be discovering terrors that lie just beneath this sickly coat of flesh. Earlier in the episode, about about uh, five hours ago, Kyle kind of <laughs> sketched out a, a type of character for us, and that's the uh, that that's the kind of um, Larry the Cable Guy, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs figure. These these people who like. Right, so it's like these these people aren't uh, working class, right? You know, like they're pretending this blue collar identity, Uh, and this this leads us to to a recent figure that has emerged, uh, perhaps eclipsing Mike Rowe in popularity, but J D. Vance, author of Hillbilly Elegy, Uh, Kyle United States Senate. Yes, yes, things things have recently gotten worse in the J D. Vance universe. We were all hoping it would be over after the Netflix show bombed, but we're here instead. Uh, uh, Kyle, perhaps you could lead us in with some J.D. Vance takes.
2: Yeah, so the thing about J.D. Vance is he wrote this shitty fucking book that no one should have ever read, but that ended up, to paraphrase, I think, because I can't remember exactly. What did, she, what did she call him? Sarah Jones called him the, the false... There it is. The false prophet of blue America, which mm-hmm. is absolutely true. Basically, like, he... He he basically wrote upper middle class white people's sub, more bur- urban and suburban white people's guide to what they think white working class life is like. And he put it all in this like absurd like reactionary book that basically it's. It's this dramatized version of his own upbringing um, that he uses to sort of discredit the viability of the social welfare state and has started. It um, basically tried to use the, the idea. He wrote a book. People are like absurd enough to think that this kind of a book. Has the ability to capture the necessary complexity um, of working class life while wow. essentially like, okay, you want a, a real... Re- he's basically like, J.D. Vance is not like this soothsayer for the white working class. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. His mother and his fa like, basically, he was raised in Middletown, Ohio... And he was basically like JD Vance came from a more, a less rural place than my family came from his book is he has a tendency to exact, he has absolutely exaggerated stuff from his life and used it as a means to basically advocate for taking away the social welfare state from poor people, but and repackages himself as a hero for working class Americans while essentially putting forward like, like right wing economic policy. Uh, he essentially like gaslit upper middle class white people and used it to like make himself an important cultural figure in the United States to sort of argue for bootstrap um, ideology and sort of yeah he's going to he's going to he's going to get destroyed in his set US Senate race he's going to get a fucking annihilated in his primary and it's going to be really embarrassing for him and it's going to be really funny basically he was like like he now that the Republican Party has been moving toward like like talking about actually trying to talk about the working class they've realized that they have like Really, like now that they've lost their wealthy suburban voters to the Democrats, they need to pivot back toward, you know, quote unquote, what they what they think are working class values. And so he's gone very much from this like squishy center right, like focused on center right wing economic policy toward this to this. uh um I don't know. What's that fucking what's that what's that fucking little Nazi wiener in the in the Madison Cawthorn and like these this this new right in the U.S. Congress with like Marjorie. Taylor? oh, Green oh and, my God. For, for a brief second, um, I thought you were talking about the character from Ben
0: Shapiro's novel. <laughs> Madison Cawthorn I mean- is such a fake right wing kind of name.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is this is the only this is the one of the very few things uh, I know about the American New Right, which is all of them have got names which sound hella made up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> none of these, like Burt Chungus, none of these people are like real or. <laughs> it's
2: to match their fake affix. And... Yeah, and and like JD Vance,
1: yeah. JD Vance is a Thiel guy. He's getting Peter Thiel money, so it's yes. like it, it's it's he's this weird like marshmallow man this 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 guy who who essentially turned his uh poverty pornography memoir into uh catnip for clueless uh bourgeois liberals um who were panicking about the collapse of democracy uh and it has gone from like being a kind of peter thiel uh funded right technocrat who's interested in herding herding the poor into essentially work camps so they can get Amazon food vouchers and send their children to work in Amazon distribution warehouses. Uh, into this kind of like proto uh, Trump esque figure, you know, he's 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 making these all of these kind of weird maneuvers. But again, it's it's just the latest iteration of this uh, non material class analysis, which translates working class into white people yeah. and th- th- that is that is that is that is not material analysis it isn't it isn't talking about it's it's precisely not material enough right it isn't actually talking about working class people it's talking about this mythical vision of a kind of prelapsarian segregated society that they've made up uh and are desperately trying to drag drag things back
2: to like well, yeah you should it's all- it's magic it's yeah. Basically, it's Pleasant Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, JD, Vance, J.D.
1: Vance is an absolutely disgusting figure in American politics. Um, but I do want to plug uh, an excellent book that I read which counteracts a lot of the kind of to- toxic, toxic discourse that he's responsible to- for, which is, um, I think it's called uh, What You're Getting Wrong About Appalachia by, um, by Elizabeth Catt. Um, it's it's really, really good. I read it uh, researching the video that I did for on Kentucky Route Zero. Um, and it's an incredible uh, story about the actual reality of what is it like to be, uh, what, one, what is it like to be uh, poor and a member of the working class without talking about, without, without that being assumed to mean just talking about white people. Um, and about the kind of history of radicalism, the history of kind of political struggle um, re- don't don't read JD Vance It's, it's boring yeah. and, and wrong, but read something like what you're getting wrong
0: about Appalachia. Hell yeah. 100% recommend that book. Yeah and I think uh, so uh, this is a transition I am affecting now. How does Florida relate to the things of which we are currently discussing group in this discussion? There, perfect. We've done it. Flor-
1: We're talking okay. about Florida. Well, we we go. We go now live to a Florida correspondent. Uh,
2: Lebikyle, kyle, <laughs> Lebe kyle are you there? Yeah. yeah, Welcome to the new horror vanguard. Uh, segment called uh Florida. It's called Florida Man, and then I drop in and just start talking. Uh, yeah, there is a like. So there's, there is a there needs to be a genre of Florida exploitation uh that exists on in conversation with all of the stuff that we've been talking about so far Absolutely centers more readily on the state of florida as um a sort of cultural a cultural touch a cultural sort of touchstone, if you will uh, an ability uh, there's like what herschel gordon lewis i think is able to capture across a variety of his movies, a lot of, more than you think, mm-hmm. of which are set or filmed in Florida. Fuck uh, 2000 Maniacs is set in a fake uh, town in Georgia, but it was filmed in St. Cloud, Florida. Um, Bloodfeast, the film that Ash mentioned earlier, was set and filmed, I believe, in Miami. Um mm-hmm as well as other films, other HGL films were set in Florida too. And it's like, what's so interesting, I think about the sort of F- Floridian texture of HGL's movies is the way that they um, capture that. I, I referenced it earlier the, the thing about Florida that no one understands is that it's, it's both what you think it is as well as not at all what people seem to think it is. There's A, a lot of people just kind of seem to think that Florida is – Nowadays, it's it's Florida is this – it depends. Is there is it an election year? Are we allowed to like Florida? Or are you on vacation? Are you allowed to like Florida? Because Florida, ex- it exists outside of the sort of typifying of the South, which in general is very bad. And leads to stuff like J.D. Vance's shitty book becoming really popular. People thinking, oh, this is what this is, what it's like, even though it's literally it's Matt, it's literally magic. It's like you, you, it's Harry Potter. Like it's not <laughs> it's not the same thing. Like it it, it it has the same amount of like human sort of like essence as a, a, a kid's book about wizard school would because it. It, it has no sense of who it is and what it's trying supposed to be. Florida exists outside of what everyone thinks it is. It is the place that you go on vacation, but it's never just only that. It is the place that has been like trending red, mostly because of people who are retiring and moving there. It is the mm-hmm. place that has a higher population of people who are over the age of 65, that has a very large and sizable conservative Cuban population. and the, in South Florida, in Miami-Dade, uh, counties around, uh, it it is the place where it's the place where I grew up and I lived in a bunch of different parts of it and a bunch of different parts of it are really different. All I can say is that the Florida panhandle is like Mississippi and Alabama, central, north central and north central Florida is like Georgia. Central Florida is just Central Florida. That's where I don't know how to describe it. Um, And then South Florida on the eastern part of it is basically like it's Miami and stuff that's like Miami. And then the western part of it, it's all of that stuff, but smaller with retirees. And then there's also a place, there's a thing called Alligator Alley. That's where all the gators are. Also, there's just (laughs) gators everywhere. That's the the really funny part about Florida is that just, just randomly there's alligators everywhere. But... I'm just, I'm trying to belabor a point there. Like Florida is in like, in an affirmation of its own unique identity exists outside of what people think it is. It's as what I always say, it's both as bad as people think it is and not nearly as bad as people think it is. Cause just cause no one really understands it. Um, and the reason why it's important to understanding 2000 maniacs is because like the South, no one gets the South. And the point of the film is that it, this, this, that, that JD Vance Southern identity emerges literally out of nowhere. Um, and rather than existing as an affirmation of Northern white people's anxieties or urban white people's anxieties about what the South is actually like, they all get cut up and pulled apart in affirmation of their sort of own fear of that like what actually is in the dark is scary and is not just is not going to come out and say you're not oh you're fine we were complicit in everything and you had nothing to do with it and like it exists in this very like the part of the sort of lost cause myth if you accept that southerners fully embody the myth of the lost cause of the Confederacy, even if you think that that's false, that is often using history to place the non-South sarcastic quotation marks no one can see at a (laughs) social distance from the South itself. And so you have people in the North like talking about, is it an election year? Are you allowed to like, are you allowed to like fetishize or like Southern people or pretend to like the South? Because if it's not an election year, then you're allowed to, you know, sort of, as we were talking about, typify and homogenize people in the South, often into this weird magical group of white people. But if it's an election year, oh, well, you know, hiss, ugh, Bugs Bunny song off Florida Jiff, ah, like, and then you go there on vacation, but then you go there on vacation anyways. What two thousand maniacs is saying is like, yeah. Remember when cotton was king? Where do you think all that cotton went? Yeah. Where is it? Where is it oh, yeah. processed? Uh, and where was it shipped? out? where did it go? Where did it? Where did all of that cotton go? Did it just sit there and like, it just like every every? Oh man, all those slave states just picked all that cotton and let it sit there. It's a shame. No, it went to. It was produced in the North, close to where I live now and it so the, the it's an we're talking about this sort of historical discourse of this movie what's really important is that it it forces the quote unquote yankee the the typified yankee to confront complicity in southern history that is often used to abuse and sort of disavow the south Again, as this big, just like one giant former plantation of white people spitting and talking about how they hate people of color and how they hate gay people, when in all actuality, where do you think all the people of color, where do you think all the people of color live? Yeah, Uh, you know, I mean, give me a break.
0: Absolutely, so so a a couple things. Um, Speaking of uh, social distancing and going on vacation, uh, we have to talk about the horror vanguard Patreon page. If you've been social distancing a lot and you can't go on vacation, why not go on our Patreon and listen to a bunch of bonus episodes? Thank you. There's a plug. There's, that's like the crassest plug I've ever done. We did it, ever we did it
1: everybody. <laughs> one day, one, one day, we will, we will f- figure out
0: how to do this in a way that doesn't make any of us feel weird. But this <laughs> is not that day. <laughs> no, but but another thing that I'm really glad that you mentioned is like, like Florida isn't Florida. You know, you've, you've got like so many, dis- there, there's Florabama. there's Florida, there's the Keys, which the Keys 100% do not see themselves as Florida. They are like a rich enclave that, that loathes the rest of the state. Um, and, and yeah. And then you've got Miami, which has its own distinct makeup and history. Like even this, this is just internal to Florida, right? Like the state is, is like this mess of historical and cultural striations. And like, this isn't even looking at the rest of the quote unquote American South, right? Like, and this isn't even like considering like, cause nobody agrees on who counts as the South, you know, like just full, full stop, just ask people from Missouri and people not from Missouri if they're in the South or the North, like no one's ever going to agree on that. What this contrasts with is this typified depiction of the South, right? It's, it's a way to erase history. If the South is just kind of uh, this, this like quaint Southern hospitality from an antebellum Georgia plantation, then we don't actually have to talk about things like the genocide of Native Americans we don't have to talk about the different social, political, and material relationships that constitute the South, the different histories that constitute the South. We can sum down the dialogue exactly as you said, into like, oh, it's just a bunch of, just a bunch of, you know, rednecks, you know, fuck them. Yeah.
1: And, and like, this is the bigger problem with like, the American Southern Gothic tradition generally, right? So uh, two two things out of what you, you both have said. One, if we're saying that Herschel Gordon-Lewis is like, the pioneer of, like, the Florida man on film, does that mean that, like, Harmony Kareen is the successor to Herschel Gordon-Lewis?
2: Yeah, in a way, I literally have notes on this. So, uh, (laughs) like, so this, I I was, I was literally, (laughs) Spring Breakers (laughs) is, Spring Breakers understands more about Florida than any pundit in the entire entirety of the Beltway. Um, it has this, like, it's what I'm going to sum it up because I've been a little rambly in this section. Cause I black out when it comes to Florida in particular, <laughs> um, there Florida exists in this counter granular texture. It's a state of being that is sort of against the usual grain of how. And I don't mean this in a radical way. I was talking about that earlier and how that can be like a radical thing. I actually don't mean that in a radical way here. I just mean in terms of how the state of Florida was founded. It was really late and it kept changing hands between a bunch of different people. And then it joined, it was this, when it joined the Confederacy and it was a part of the Confederacy, it was, it was the smallest to easily the smallest state in the Confederacy. The biggest city at the time, I believe was Pensacola. Like, this the town of St. Cloud where Herschel Gordon Lewis filmed this city, I would be I would bet a bunch of money that it did not exist. When it did not that it was founded in the 1870s or the 1880s. That's, that's what that's when Central Florida first started actually incorporating itself. Most of that is just cows. Like, and yeah, like exactly as Ash was saying that, like, Uh, In all of the spaces where the indigenous people were before you know, the vast majority of them got pushed off up north into Georgia or out west. And so it's like that we need this sort of like his, his, we need this sort of like past-facing production of culture that engages with Florida in either an active or passive way. I think 2000 Maniacs would definitely do that passively in this case, although they are going on vacation to Florida, so it's in the film. Um, But we also need to turn around and sort of face in the other direction, and I think that's literally what Spring Breakers is. I think it's just a forward-facing sort of same sense of like, like what happens when you what most a lot of the people in that movie it is it is just about people what happens when people from out of town start acting like what they think they should be doing when they're in Florida. Um, I'm intimately familiar with a lot of the places that that movie was filmed. I recognize a lot of it. And it, it is the that's what makes it Floridian. It is both an affirmation of what people think Florida is like and in that affirmation, radically different than they understand because they just haven't experienced it, and they don't. And that's what that's what it means to be this sort of like. Because now it's not a frontier anymore. There's there is not a literal frontier. It's all figurative now, but that that it is fig, the the like a tourism culture is the is that not the natural replacement for this sort of like is that not conquering it you know. It's fucking Westworld, like basically, like in a, in the most like sort of basic sense, like we we we've like now we can all go pretend to like we can go live out the California myth, right? Or like the the Florida version of the California myth that like is popularized in like 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 you have the Beach Boys on the one hand, and then you have the film Where the Boys Are on the other hand which is the spring break film, a lot of them end up in Florida. And it has the same sort of like a mixture of cautionary tale built into sort of like the type of the typified for the beach boys in the sense of like the, you know, the good girl that you're allowed to pursue uh, who, you know, really reminds remind you like that plus automobile plus school, plus, like sort of Flexible social institutions that really reinforce you know a kind of ex- a, a, a kind of a kind of new, youthful but still ultimately like capitalist for lack of a better term, cultural form. and the Spring Break movie, like where the boys are, um, the sort, yeah, the, like they, they also have this kind of like, and a lot of those movies get really dark, the sort of spring Break film. They really do, but they also have like, Connie Francis did the soundtrack. And God, I love Connie Francis. But you know, also it's a, in these movies, they, they depict like, they're cautionary tales. We were talking about the skeleton dance earlier. Someone goes out and experiences like the very, very bright and shiny, but very sort of scary parts that, that that's the anxiety inducing parts of the social world but they can come back and not only reinforce the conception of that but use a curated limited experience to reinforce that uh, their their own ideas so you go be a tourist florida's oh man florida's crazy man florida's crazy everything's crazy in florida everyone's crazy wow yeah you were there in the craziest two weeks the entire year i was making your food by the way and you're an asshole like <laughs> this is that that's my that was my life is dealing being in service industry with fucking people there on spring break yeah. who then go home and post gifs of people of Bugs Bunny sawing Florida off of the United States because an election, well, know, the Florida Democratic Party sucks. Like, I, I talk about this a lot in relation to Appalachia, but
0: it's Appalachia is an extraction colony within an extraction colony.
2: Yes. yes right. It
0: is. And, but in so many ways, Florida also bears this burden to not, not in the same kind of material mineral extraction, but in like this, it, it is 100% what you're saying. It's a site of like cultural extraction. Florida is a playground for people who then get to wash their hands of the material problems of Florida.
1: which which brings us to uh, to uh to 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 some of the most just downright clueless people in all of horror media uh to to the to the main characters the guests of honor <laughs> who rock into <laughs> town after be after after doing the old wily coyote bit of painting the tunnel (laughs) onto the rock that they drive through uh and they're immediately surrounded by surrounded by people who are basically telling them hey it'd be really cool if we could chop you to pieces and eat you and they all decide to stay um and and kyle you you have an insanely powerful take about this film so i i am just gonna i am just i'm I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna set you up for this. This is a movie about history. Run run with the bull, run with the bull.
2: <laughs> oh, gl- gladly. Okay, so historiography, there's our college word for today. The philosophy of historical writing. Um, it's a word that's hard to pronounce, It's a word that I've heard graduate students struggle to pronounce. Sometimes give yourselves a little bit of break when you encounter it in public in the wild, so to speak. But historiography is basically how do we write history? Um, and how do we use source historical sources and understand and interpret, how do we use them to interpret and then make historical arguments? Um, and as a result it the the, th- the thing about the thing about the thing about the uh, yeah, okay. So in the first scene, the opening credits, I believe at the end of the opening credits of the movie, one of the very first scenes you see depicting someone who's not either, uh, the aforementioned by John Wiley e. coyote, um, characters, uh, I definitely know their name to Lester and roof, uh, who were, uh, uh, basically trapping our um easily duped um cast members, John B. David and Beverly, um, the sort of central cast who you know get butchered and chopped up, the non-survivors, we'll call them the non-survivors. Um, the first thing you see is um a child with a small noose. Um they uh, holding a black cat. Um, And then you see a scene basically in which that the child kills the black cat with the noose is what's implied. Um, And it reminded me of one of the sort of great historical essays, uh, like one of the great essays of uh, cultural history, um, which is by a historian named Robert Darton. Um, And it discusses something called the Great Cat Massacre. And I want to... um read a passage from darton before i go into a larger discussion about historiography but so um yeah this is from workers revolt the great cat massacre of the rue saint severine um it's in a uh a collected volume called the great cat massacre and other essays on cultural history or something like that robert darton d-a-r-n-t-o-n for anyone who wants to look it up Uh, And this is from that essay. This is the opening, very beginning. The funniest thing that ever happened in the printing shop of Jacques Vincennes, according to a worker who witnessed it, was a riotous massacre of cats. The worker, Nicolas Contant, told the story in account of his apprenticeship in the shop, Rune Saint-Séverine, Paris, during the late 1730s. Life as an apprentice was hard, he explained. There were two of them. Jerome, the somewhat fictionalized version of Contant himself, and Levire, they slept in a filthy, freezing room. Rose before dawn, ran errands all day while dodging insults from the journeymen and abuse from the master, and received nothing but slops to eat. They found uh, the food especially galling. Instead of dining at the master's table, they had to eat scraps from his plate in the kitchen. Worse still, the cook secretly stole the leftovers, sold the leftovers. And gave the boys cat food old rotten bits of meat that they could not stomach and so passed on to the cats who refused it basically the story goes on to describe a sort of the basically working conditions in this historical account of working in a print shop in paris in the 1730s um describe it was really horrible for the lowest of the low of these sort of historical characters and as a result they had to use their environment in such an interesting in an interesting way to one get concessions and make ch- and changes permission basically to make changes they needed in their working environments um the cat they were surrounded by cats and the cats would howl into the middle of the night and hey i'm a cat my cat is literally sitting next to me um we all have cats we're all cat lovers this is a different time and i promise i'm making a point but i'm about to talk about cat violence so i guess warning for anyone who doesn't want to deal with that um they, they would basically basically the two apprentices in this historical account snuck up outside of the 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 master printmakers window, the bourgeois, as they called them, and made howling cat noises, and made to make it seem like the cats that were outside howling and keeping them awake in the alley had come up to where they lived up high above peaceful and quiet um, to bother them. And what it did is it basically gave the bourgeois came downstairs and said, Hey, to the, to the people of the lowest. Of the, let's this is menial work. Let's let's give it let's give it to the non apprentices. Let's get the journeymen, uh, or the uh, let's, let's let's get yeah let's get the helpers. The, these workers that I'm describing, and then the journeymen printmakers, to go round up and basically exterminate the cat problem. They describe these sort of plays that they made with the cats. They actually the bourgeois. Uh, the, 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 the matron of the house, I can't remember her name. She had, uh, a cat that she loved and she said, you just can't, you can't touch that cat. Um, well, they killed her cat too. Um, and they basically acted them out in little plays, um, using their corpses. And again, I know this is, you know, very intense, and very violent, but this is the horror show. So we get to come on and talk about cat massacres. I bring up this essay about cat massacres, uh, uh, while talking about this Southern exploitation movie, because we are we 're constantly grappling with the ways that people make use of their circumstances throughout history I, as I described earlier, as Robert Darton describes in that essay earlier, these are human beings who were basically eating give, being given food that alley cats were turning their nose up to. Who they were probably, you know, they themselves were probably not eating very well, but were essentially eating off of, they were the wrong, they were given the wrong kind of scraps, not fit for what was at the time an infestation problem. And so they were forced to, in their, the, what history looks like is much more like what happened, a very sort of like uneven, biased, Series of accounts of an event in which two d- two parties of different sort, in this case, two very distinct class statuses, came into conflict and used their agency and the 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 social world around them to sort of like like bring this conflict to a head and like create to 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 do something and to to do anything really. I bring this up because the this is what historiography is. I read Robert Darton for the first time in undergrad, in my undergraduate theory class, um, when we were talking about uh, cultural history one week. And uh, this essay has really stuck with me. Not only is it very famous, um, it was assigned, not only was it assigned to me again in grad school, as well as some other stuff from that book, making it a little harder. But uh, um, it tells you everything you need to know about the historiography of 2000 Maniacs. And we're finally here, I promise. 2000 Maniacs is using the incredibly simple, like most well known, not simple, but you know what I mean, the most well known, understood accepted conflict in American historiography, which is the idea of the Southern lost cause after the uh, war between the states, the Civil War. Um, This is the idea that the sort of like, the, 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 the ends were ultimately justifying the means of the Confederacy, which was actually rather than it's basically the myth that we know of the f- Confederacy's lost cause that was popularized by the sons and the particularly the daughters of the Confederacy um, throughout the 20th century, that was used to reinforce um, segregation in southern states. And to sort of paper over the sort of worst transgressions of the southern planter owning plant the southern planting class, um, the plantation elite, basically the some of the wealthiest people in the country at the time, southern capitalists, um, at the expense of everyone in the South and working people everywhere. We all know that this myth we we all have encountered this historical argument before on the one side or on the other, right? and, but what is what's what's important about having a, for lack of a better term, a real grown up understanding of how history functions, um, a real sort of to to engage with history with the necessary theoretical rigor that a lot of people don't, you know, see. They they, they either aren't prepared to, they either don't know to, or they don't care to, you know, sort of use. Is the idea that like. How, how we write history is the, is contingent upon so much <laughs> it, it it's it's the idea that like 2000 maniacs gives us the perspective of northerners who are trying to place themselves at distance with the complicity of everything that the sort of like that a, um, a ritualized South would force them to. Much of the film's anxieties are predicated on the idea that primitive ritual could come true. And that as we were saying, the scary thing in the dark could jump out and reveal itself to actually be true. That the people who work in your print shop do resent you that they do hate you, that they don't, that when you leave, they do laugh at you. They do mock you. And they would, if they had an opportunity, take, like, make, do a weird, grotesque play using the corpse of your dead cat, and they will laugh about it. One of them will write about how it's the funniest thing he ever saw while he worked there. That's what he said in that memoir. It's the funniest thing that happened when I worked at that place the grievances registered actually emerge from lived experiences in Robert Darton's story. And they do as well in the stories of Southern people. The grotesque ritual that exists outside of acceptable manners in 2000 maniacs, they act that has meaning. And the reason why is because in the mind like the the complicity of complicity is relinquished when redneck Brigadoon can appear out of nowhere to enact revenge on good, innocent, passing bystanders, as just literally as as because of a centennial. Like it, it what what is so historiographically relevant about Two Thousand Maniacs is that it, by virtue of the characters, um sort of like what they represent in the conflict in a very sort of like well-known conversation in the philosophy of historical writing the different ways that people have used history um makes it remarkably important as an historical film <laughs> and I will uh defend that point um using basically using the argument that to anybody who wants to talk about it um but but really like to sum that to sum that up the, the the challenge of history is that is that there 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 is there is always something working beyond the people who are just writing and producing history we choose methods we have biases and we have desires and beliefs and we have goals um, and not just people who work and produce this stuff in a scholarly environment, but everybody who engages with and uses history, which is all of us, you know, we all forward ourselves in some way when we produce and engage with history. Um, it's, it is, a sort of like, and so as a result, what we are brought into the challenges of history themselves via an historiographic film like this, we become complicit, in a sense, in however we end up constructing it, whether we see like it as an affirmation of Southern attitudes and rep and purely just a representation of like, well, yeah, I know that like, not everyone in the South is just like what running around being you know, they all love the Confederacy or whatever. But like, most people or like any qualifier that comes that that does not treat a the South with the necessary complexity that it has earned as a place um with actual lived history um that viscer with with incredible viscera if we're talking about viscera um it's like that there's there's it, 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 it's, it's on the one hand, an affirmation of one perspective, and on the other hand, through that affirmation, a negation of it. So it has this, like, dialectical sense of itself that exists in when we were talking about Florida, that exists when we were talking about the Southern the history of the exploitation genre in American culture, and how that interacts with, you know, depictions of the South in those films uh the like it it it's it's this idea that there are there there's this trans there is this sort of material transcendence that exists from the sort of very bottom all the way to the very top of our lived social world and the and it's made up of this kind of it's textured by this sort of a thing things that exist in affirmation of their negations yeah. I am who you say I am and I am not, despite that fact that I am, which is like Yeah.
1: Like this is as as, as someone who is not uh not an American but is sadly British, um I don't I don't I, I don't know. I, I like the, the kind of assumed knowledge of the status of the American Civil War is not something that I share. Um which makes the, how this film relates to the idea of American self-identity and the the continuous, the kind of his a seamless historical continuity of America as a project—super um, interesting. But uh, Ash, I was wondering, what do you what do you think about how this how this film is um, how how Redneck Brigadoon is is <laughs> is, is basically complicating the idea of America as a unified,
0: contiguous whole. Uh, so the, I think the first point I'll bring up is, Kyle, you now hold several Horror Vanguard records. Uh, most frequently appearing guest is yours. You already hold the longest episode, but you're probably about to beat that. So you just lapped yourself. And you now have the record for longest monologue on on the show. That was roughly an unbroken 16 minutes.
2: Fuck off. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Uh. It was like
0: it was magic the whole time. I'm just like, I'm like, have you you, ever seen one of those like, like comically overpowered joints that have like oil and everything and like crystals and they look like a Godzilla monster? (laughs) <laughs> right like it was it was it was the, it was like the effect of that like i felt myself the atoms of my body lifted away from me and i entered this like floridian way of existing it was beautiful yeah he was he was he was he was talking about cats
1: and 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 it, the, the french and, um, and, then, and it, then an entirely new presentation of the theory of historiography kicked in
0: well, well once the historiography started hitting i was gone <laughs> uh, but I, but I would, but I would add the, the thing that I would add is is this kind of raises a complicated question of what is the South? You know, more specifically, in this case, what is Florida? And I think John, you're you're entirely correct, and Kyle's approach through historiography is how we look at this, right? Like, Florida doesn't exist, right? Florida is kind of, it's, it's this socio-cultural machine, right? It's this hyper object. It's not a, a body of land. It's an ideological project that focalizes a certain historical narrative and uses that for immediate material political goals. Uh, 2000 Maniacs is, is like a, it's like a thorn and cutting against the side of that. Like the, the the movie rests too easily in, in the slot and the garish colors and the loudness of, of the film cause it to, to force up against the
2: edges of it. Well, that took, uh, well, it took me 16 minutes to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. F- F-
0: Florida is just a hyper object was sitting there the whole time. <laughs> yeah
1: uh well there is there is one area there is one area that we should kind of talk about so our our four non-survivors get get killed in <laughs> a variety of genuinely hilarious ways nice. um a uh, quick quick straw poll fav- favorite death favorite death in the film
0: hmm
2: probably the uh probably the boulder yeah, because yep. yep. the silly factor, like it, it has this like talk about getting like, dunked like, on. I mean, I mean, Hail, oh, I mean, <laughs> like I was almost drawn to the original getting dunked on the drawing and quartering, mm-hmm. um, just because of it's sort of like it's also absurd, but like no, it's got to be the the dunking boot, the dunk tank style t- baseball target with a that was that was the scene with the 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 extras that John described John John's favorite character John uh, my uh, my favorite I, characters are are so
1: it's a big it's a big town festival event where you r- ritualistically murder people um to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the town being destroyed in the American Civil War uh and so the entire town gathers out around the dunking tank um and there are just a couple of like um old women in the background watching this and it's it's so weird but it sort of raises the possibility that they've been there for like decades watching every milestone <laughs> watching watching somebody get squished by a giant uh giant boulder um ash what about you what was your favorite death oh
0: hands down barbecue I love Classic. a good cue. There's, there's no way. That's the, that's the most American way to go. Is, is being. Didn't. Oh my God. I'm having like a. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking free of linear time right now. But we talked about barbecues on a previous episode as like the ultimate embodiment of like this, phallocentric, patriarchal worldview. And here we have someone literally getting skewered on a barbecue. <laughs> uh, once again, HV continues its run of just always being correct.
1: I am going yes. to speak up for, I'm going to speak up for, uh, uh, my dude who gets kicked down a hill in a barrel oh, full of nails. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. How could
2: we forget? How uh, could what, we forget?
1: What I love, what I love is, uh, the buildup to the death, which is where he's like, oh, a classic non-suspicious thing. Get in the barrel. E- e- everyone knows that southern tradition. We'll tell
2: you tomorrow. <laughs> Everything was well. T- I, that was the in gr- like. If is that that felt like that felt like a southern that felt like my mother's family is the southern part of my fa- is my dad's family is very mid- midwestern my mother's family very southern. That does that not feel like a southern thing of just like oh yeah yeah I'll t- I'll tell t- you tomorrow. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like. Just like don't worry about it. don't worry about it. Get yeah. in the barrel. Yeah, get it's in
0: the barrel. You don't want really in... to
2: ruin
1: our celebration, do you? Well <laughs> get you're the get, guest of honor. <laughs> get in the fucking barrel, Stephen.
0: <laughs> well I think I think we can I think we can get into the barrel of discourse really quick here, because I think there's like a weirdly important thing that happens to, to in in the like weird Confederate flag barrel full of nails scene. And, <laughs> and right, this this is like a key <laughs> yeah. a key part of the film, right? Because like, this happens at the barbecue too, right? You know, one of our one of our non survivors is like, hey, what's a what's what's on the barbecue and then the the mayor of the southern town is just like oh don't you mind what's on the barbecue it's just a special treat just a bunch of nonsense And it's the most suspicious fucking thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> same with the like oh, oh get in get in the barrel oh, that, that's on the edge of this hill uh, just do it because it's fun well we'll tell you about it later like like that like what, what is that if not a lack of history right there's no history there right you you can't tell people you like there's a reason why they don't even lie right they don't. they don't say like oh what's on what's on what's on the spit over the barbecue oh it's pork don't ask questions you know like this they, they 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 make up some weird mythologizing about the absence of history
2: yeah there's this like it's not it lacks it's supposed to lack play it lacks place in, in such a like in an affirmation of like, is it, is it not like, so brig like what to, to, to logically bring it back to Brigadoon, there is this, they encounter, Brigadoon is encountered on a leisurely hunting trip in the, like you're, you're just, you're wandering around looking for birds, like with the shotgun. And then you happen upon this, like Scottish village frozen in time and it's also just appears a certain time it is it is historic it's a, it's the only thing that's historical about it is that it exists it anniversaries become the center of everything and that celebration of those anniversaries in these like it's really about like prim- primitivized like primitive ritual and how like you know, like really all that exists are anniversaries in sort of like primitive gesture and like, yeah, of course it's a dunk tank and of course it's a festival and of course there's a band. And of course the Pleasant Valley boys are going to play throughout the entire movie. They're just <laughs> a wander- all They literally wake them up. By One playing day, outside that window. Yeah, it's a like there's just a, they're like, okay, it's time time to go do our job of wandering around and playing music for the people in this town. Two thousand people, by the way, supposedly, according to the, the sign. Population two thousand, pleasant valley. Uh so it has this like it it like It's a, it's everything that we've been taught. It, it's it's the conclusion that we've come through, as always, throughout the process of the episode, which is You know, it's spectrality is what makes it real. It's ghostly qualities is it's it's it exists. It's it's an affirmation of its own negation. Uh, and that's, that's where it, it's sort of actual texture comes from rather than that being from a pure, like, like that South does not emerge out of nowhere. And that's why it's violent. That would never like Brigadoon can't exist because Brigadoon needs to kill everyone who walks into it. That needs like it's not Brig it's not Brigadoon is bullshit until like everyone actually is secretly a monster and eats everyone. Like you have to have a reason. And it has to like kidnapping someone and taking them to the past with love. That's kind of horrifying too. But like, you know, why not just, why not just say the quiet part loudly and just murder everyone when they water into it? That's really like, history is about like, you think the people of it it, say you're, say you become a part of Benjamin's angel of history after you die. And as a result, the moment that you die, you are suspended in a constantly, you are suspended gazing upon history but also constantly pushed backwards by the force of history so you see history happening but you don't move and you move away from it at a constant rate you don't think the those people who are part of the angel of history don't have any fucking problems look at, they've seen everything they know everything they know how fu- they working class people southern working class people don't have any grievances when it comes to sort of stuff that has happened in the, the, their depiction of who they are, in like their composition as like a, again as the sort of abstract sort of force in history. Of course they're gonna fucking kill you. Of course they're of course they're gonna come back as ghosts as this weird ghost town and butcher you in funny ritual. Of course it's gonna be funny too. Of course it has to be funny right? It has to, because they're going to, they're going to, that's your horrible experience. They found your cat. You needed to hire them again for another problem that you can't handle yourself. And they found your precious little gray cat, little gray, I think, or something, whatever that woman called her cat. They found your cat. Not only do they not care that they killed your cat, they sought out your cat. They turned it into a puppet and they laughed. And the one guy said it was the funniest thing he saw while he worked for you was yeah. when the corpse of your that is your fear, and now your your fear is to be drawn and quartered while your friend is being barbecued, and to have to get put to get goaded into a weird. Your fear is to be enough of a dumbass is to get in the barrel, <laughs> without asking questions. You're the guest of honor. Oh, well, I'm the guest of honor. These, these hayseeds say I'm the guest of honor. So, you know, whatever. Like, that's got to be true. Might as well get in this barrel. Surely nothing bad's going to happen. Hey, it's real sharp in here. It's like, (laughs) it had to be funny. It had to be ritualistic. It had to be carnival-esque too. They had to be games, an affirmation of the negation of Southern identity and existence and history. It's like, well, okay, yeah. It's I'll show you hayseed. I'll show you redneck. I'll show you like you know. And I mean, well, is that not the Battle of Blair Mountain, right? I'll show mm-hmm. you redneck. Like, uh, I I uh, I may have to dash off
1: relatively soon, but okay. I wanted to I wanted to talk about one more one more aspect of this film, um, which is like, so what do we do? What what is what is what is the way out? How do you how do you how do you cope how do you survive your encounter with the, the kind of Nietzschean endless recurrence of violence of, of contradiction of political identity of of negation that this film outlines um, and uh, th- this film has a very simple answer you survive it by being a hitchhiking teacher who can call, who can call another could call a history teacher who are you gonna call you're gonna call a historical materialist because <laughs> that's really that's really the only way out um, uh, uh, ash what, what do you think about the ending what do we what do we think about this solution
0: well it's literally so this is literally the only kind of person who could save us from what pleasant valley represents right uh, because I think we, we oversimplify what teachers are when we talk about them, because we've kind of reduced teaching in this kind of neoliberal capitalistic system, right? So teachers are like, they're they're part-time social workers who run a daycare service. And, and this is as true if you're teaching like K-12 as you are teaching college students, right? Like, like teaching has been uh, uh, really, really, really gutted across the board but the educator the teacher right like this is this is like the person who's transmitting history this is the node that which through history passes right and when i say teacher i don't even necessarily mean people who work in schools but just like our elders people who are communicating things to us people who are teaching us and sharing these stories that's the only way to to kind of rescue the ghost of pleasant valley right to to end this kind of lost cause mythologizing that exists both as a conservative tool for conservative ends as a, and as a liberal tool for liberal ends right we need to transcend okay, ash, that ash,
1: ash yeah? are you saying that that uh, herschel gordon lewis's 2000 maniacs has solved the eternal question of do i have to read theory
0: <laughs> 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 yes yes that's 100 percent what i'm saying <laughs>
1: like uh, uh, uh really really i i i absolutely i absolutely love the ending where where oh one of our characters just insists that he's going to keep calling his history teacher who's this history teacher that he knows who's an expert on the American Civil War um uh, uh because really it underscores the way that this film has a kind of dialectical relationship to history itself and to to what the individual that seeks to try and make sense of history has to do um and if you don't do it well what's going to happen to you you're going to get in the barrel you <laughs> <laughs> right? you if you don't if you don't have an understanding of, of 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 history right if you go oh well that's all in the past or you go oh well you know the civil war ended and and succeeded and did what it was supposed to do and uh you know uh, you will you will be the person who gets in the barrel um, this is why. This is why uh, a genuine historical materialism is so useful.
0: That's 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 the HV line right there. Uh, learn learn historical materialism or get in the fucking barrel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I I hope Kyle, that as someone who spends a lot of their time in history education, that you see this film as kind of valid representation.
2: Oh yeah, I like to think. I like to think. I like to see myself as the hero of a movie, and that just never happens. You know, it's all these like anthropologists with whips and hats and stuff, and like then there's no Noah Wiley in Falling Skies. That's a, it's a reference for everybody. Um, he's a historian who becomes an army guy um, when aliens invade, and it's just like no, I want like. I want either the teacher the hitchhiking teacher or his buddy on the phone who you, you never see um yeah this is this is like who <laughs> who to. I want the hero I want the hero to be a history teacher who lies to kids about candy yes. and scrapes yes. <laughs>
0: I, I was going to say you You want to be the kind of guy where your biggest action scene is you're lying to a kid about getting to drive a sports car so you can steal yep. car keys from
1: him <laughs> yeah Billy you, Billy, you, Billy you better give me those keys I will I'll let you drive on the freeway I will let you stay up late
0: I will let you
1: I will let you watch Blood Feast just give me just give me the
0: keys Billy I don't want to get in the barrel <laughs> so, so the historical the historian, the historian on the phone is like the character that I connected the most with. Because like I absolutely feel the vibe of like it's like three in the morning, and someone DMs you and they're like, Have have you ever seen a movie called The The Blood of Satan's Witchcraft? It was released in 1906 and it stars blah, 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 blah,
2: and you're just like, What? It's actually like what? five postcards strung together. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, this, that, this that guy just only, getting a call. Yeah, this yeah, guy. This guy just, just getting a call. That's
0: like, what is Pleasant Valley? And it's just like, oh fuck! Now I got to go like look at a bunch of stuff and do some research. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I I did I
1: did honestly think that both of you would very much relate to the guy who he's calling on the phone because I'm like, <laughs> so many times, so many times I've DM'd Ash and have been like, hey, can you tell me about this rare cryptid? And he's like, yes, <laughs> yes, this is this is finally
0: someone's finally asking yes (laughs) oh well you see you got yourself a hodag problem we're gonna have to talk (laughs) all right Um, so we 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 we, uh gentlemen gentlemen heroes legends uh teachers and bearers of the story of history we have crossed the two-hour line this is officially the longest episode of horror vanguard uh, congratulations all around. Kyle, uh, you're a legend. You're a champion. You hold several titles that no doubt will never be broken by mortal men. Uh, shall, we, shall we move on to our closing uh, opinions?
1: Uh, closing thoughts. Closing th- well, I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I learned is that Florida truly is a land of contrasts. Um, <laughs> this is the weirdest book report of what I did on my holidays in 1964. <laughs> um, I I love everything about this movie. And I think the thing that I, I, I really love the most about it is the fact that it knows how to... Like, uh, it's so important, Ash, that you brought up that Herschel Gordon Lewis was a marketer, was like an ad guy. It's like attention. Attention is so valuable, especially when beneath you know if you if you if you smear away some of the gooey red corn syrup you find such a kind of historically fractured and complex movie
0: absolutely and i think for my closing thought i'll also mention herschel gordon lewis as uh so he he, in an interview he was talking about copywriting actually and he he was kind of uh, bemoaning the contemporary state of copywriting in the 2010s, where a lot of marketing would try to get products to like 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 you you get like you get like the Corona beer commercial where it's a bunch of attractive 20-somethings on a beach, and that's the entire commercial besides the the end card that says drink corona responsibly. And it's meant to just silently slip into your mind and become part of the fabric of your being. And, and he was saying that. No like a good a good marketing copy will confront someone. It'll make them start talking because then they'll talk to their friends about whatever you're trying to sell. So you have to be a little aggressive. And I think that that attitude connects in with this movie and as my final closing statement, I would highly recommend microdosing labor Kyle content first if you're not used to <laughs> it. Just to acclimate your system for cuz I'm still part part of my brain is still trying to like Formulate an articulate response on how a French cat massacre connects back into this movie because you're so right about that, but it's just like it's still blowing my mind.
2: <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Closing thoughts. Um, well, friendship is a powerful thing. <laughs> uh, this this is the this is the lesson that we know from Horror Vanguard is that when you have uh, uh uh people who are willing to just kind of like open up a space and let you let you go. Um it's we didn't even we didn't we didn't even talk about how the all the songs that I li- I would oh I know all the individual songs that the Pleasant the Pleasant Valley boys sang Buck Owen's rolling in my sweet baby's arms and I can talk about that for an hour. But like there is we I didn't get to get into the complexity of Mayor Buckman's character. Uh um, the 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 sort of the representation that is Mayor Buckman's laugh. There's a lot.
1: I look forward to your forthcoming uh, <laughs> YouTube video series on Mayor Bu- Buckman
2: and the genealogy of, of <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> like there, this is this is what this is what's good about movies. This is it's and this is what's great about good directors. Um, watch watch the weird stuff. Um, Because even if it's not like, even if it's not showing you, I mean, it's like, you know what it's like, it's like, it's like, I know who killed me. Authorial intent is so overrated sometimes. Uh, And then combine that with Herschel Gordon Lewis, someone who really knew what they were doing and really had an identity like in their filmmaking and who really has vision. And then place that in place that sort of authorial intent. And then all of the historical stuff that just sort of falls off the bone with the text itself. And then place that in contrast with the film, I know who killed me go back and listen to the I know who killed me (laughs) episode and watch that movie. play that authorial intent is I like David Lynch, and I'm going to make a torture porn movie. That's basically it. Um, and it's also wonderful and funny and weird and there's so much stuff that comes out of it because it's earn- it's earnest find an earnest movie and watch it five times and write <laughs> I, too, I, write I love too much about
1: it i love i love the ash said uh, hey Hey kids, like use use your labor Kyle infused cultural criticism responsibly, and and you're like no, just freebase that shit. Yeah, I, yeah,
2: put it in a spoon and cook it up and inject it. Basically, is what I just yeah. Uh, or here's another thing that you could do. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a contrast. I'm contrast. That's what we're here. What's what we're here to talk about? I'm here to I'm here to do dialectics. I'm not here to make friends. I'm just kidding. That's a... Uh, we do both. We do both. Yeah, we, we, it's we make, both. That's what HV is for.
1: We make friends and do dialectics. But oh, my! I, I my, I, I, I'm in pieces after I have. I have been barbecued. I have. I have been placed in the barrel of discourse <laughs> and thrown down a hill, uh, whilst n- nails of concentrated Labor Kyle energy have bored <laughs> into my skull. Um this has been this has just been a trip thank you thank you to our good friend uh absolute hero uh kyle please go follow labor kyle on on twitch on on the youtube.gov on on (laughs) twitter.hell and every other social media website we we have made it uh we made it through the absolute madness that was halloween uh we are super excited to be kicking on with requests month where we are going to be trying to work our way through the absolute mountain of requests that we, we have uh, received. If we, we won't be able to get through everything, but please do rest assured when you request a movie uh, either on Twitter or on the discord or um, any other, by, by, by yelling at us when you see us, um, we do, we do keep track of it. We do try and cover requests as often as we can. Uh, But thank you so, so much for listening.
0: Stay spooky, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week,
2: stay spooky.